So there's a buttload of new planets out there to live on, but none of them have Geek Top 5! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I mean, it's good. Even though we have to be stuck here, it's still good, because there's Geek Top 5 here. Yay! All right. I'm Jesse. <laughs> I'm Graham. And five cool things happened over the last couple of weeks in the world of geekdom that we are here to bring straight to you, so you're going to sound super cool around the geek water cooler. Number five on the list, this actually came in right before we recorded our last episode and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. So we're bringing it in now because it's so cool. So, I mean, how many people, how many of you like Spawn? Yeah. Some of you. Some of you, I'm sure. So he's a police officer, he dies, and he comes back from hell as an action figure, and then they decided to make a comic book based on the action figure. Which is essentially what happened, right? Uh, well, sure. Sure. But... In that weird universe of, like, hell but also cops, there was also Sam and Twitch, who you probably haven't read, but you're about to find out a lot more about, thanks to Kevin Smith. Yeah, so Kevin Smith is a filmmaker. He started his career with Clerks, this real super indie, low-budget, convenience store movie, and he went on to have a, a interesting sort of mid-range filmmaking career. Yeah, he makes Kevin Smith movies. There's yeah. no other way to put it. Yeah. But everyone knows what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Although he, his... It went from just sort of like simple movies about simple people to movies about men turning other men into walruses. That's a, been a recent phase of his career. He makes movies that are super compelling if you're high. Yes. <laughs> that, that, I guess that sums it up nicely. He also built up a whole podcast empire in the last 10 years. So he's, he's, he really likes to chat. He's, he's very open about everything he's doing in his career. Seems like a nice guy. The nice sure, boy. Yeah, he's a good boy. Uh, so he, this is actually, I think, the third TV series that's been announced with him attached. But this sounds like it'll be the first one that's actually going somewhere. Uh, a few months ago, it was announced that he was going to be doing a Buckaroo Banzai TV series. But that didn't go anywhere, right? No, because the the actual creators of Buckaroo Banzai saw the news reports and were like, uh, wait a second, we still own the rights to this. And then that put the brakes on everything, because apparently the people who hired Kevin Smith didn't realize they didn't have the rights or something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so it's in a legal limbo. Uh, then he announced that he was going to do a Mallrats sequel movie, and then that turned into a TV series, and then nobody wanted to buy the TV series. So that got kiboshed, but this sounds like it's actually going forward. Right. So this is for BBC America, which, contradiction in terms, but they're, <laughs> no, they're real. Um, so Sam and Twitch are, they're pulp detectives, essentially, right? Yeah. But they're in a world where it's not just, you know, you know the, the mafia, but all, with the world of Spawn, where there's demons and supernatural stuff. Ghosts and all that stuff. It's like a, a proto... We may have talked about um, Gotham Central on here before, which is like a comic book series that's all about the police who work in Gotham, in, in Batman City, and have to deal... It's it's like a, trying to, to take a real sort of blue-collar nuts and bolts to a world of supervillains. Right. Uh, so that is, this is like an early take on that. These are two characters who started off in the Spawn comic and spun off and got their own series. Brian Michael Bendis, who's a name that most people have never heard of, but he's huge in the comic book world. This was one of the series that he got his start on. So them making a TV series of it is, is pretty exciting, and, and having Kevin Smith involved will will create a nice, one would hope, uh, uh, add a bit of humor to the Otherwise, pretty dark subject matter. Humor and, I imagine, some authenticity. We know Kevin Smith has read these comic books. Right. This, so this series is being described um, as... These are big city homicide detectives who face series of super grisly crimes connected to the occult. It's frightening and it's sort of gallows humor. 
So that actually sounds like it'll fit in really well with a lot of modern TV. Like, things are super dark and super R-rated, but you also get a chuckle out of it. Because, yeah. I mean, because it's, it's still a, a buddy cop duo, right? There's the brawn and the brains. Well, it's just, it's also fits in well with BBC America. They, they've got Orphan Black, which is a great series that balances that line, too, where it's it's got some real dark subject matter. It's also really fascinating, but it's also got some gallows humor and some some fun moments in it. Mm -hmm. So the comics themselves aren't actually that many, right? There's been like 20 or 30. It was, um, as with most Image comics, especially in the early days of Image, it was plagued with delays due to, you know, they had a really high quality of art, but it meant it took a lot longer for the art to be made. So there were huge delays. It was something like 26 issues spread out over four years. Oof. It's supposed to be, you know, an issue a month. So that well, that's really the nail in the coffin for, for Image back in those days. Early 90s Image and even going into the early 2000s always had huge problems meeting their deadlines. But that's, I guess, a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Long story short, don't feel bad if you've never read them. But there's a lot of quality material there, and it seems like the kind of thing that could be really well adapted to the screen. And having someone like Kevin Smith behind it who we know isn't just in it for the franchise tie-in, like, who's probably going to be able to do a lot of justice to these characters is a really cool sign. Yeah, and he's also got uh, some some pretty good connections, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to bring in some other interesting writers and directors to help bring this vision to life. We're hoping to hear more about it. Um, We're hoping it's going to make it. (laughs) Like we said, not all of his stuff goes forward. But it sounds like they've got a pretty good thing set up for this one. So we will bring you more as we learn more about it. Number four on our list... Speaking of bringing in interesting talent... So, oh, boy. This is going to be a touchy one. Yeah. So, they... I mean, obviously, we're already looking to make a sequel of the Academy Award-winning blockbuster hit Suicide Squad, which, uh, man, that's 2017 in a nutshell, isn't it? Does yeah. Anyone else feel like we owe 2016 an apology for all the <laughs> stuff we said about it? No, I'm not there yet. Yeah, all right. So, anyway, there's a new Suicide Squad coming. We don't have to tell you about Suicide Squad. We've talked about it on the show before. I just, what a letdown. But I guess it did make money. But it was just such a disappointment. And I guess to capitalize on those feelings of disappointment, um, Warner Brothers is sort of dating around a bit to find a new director, but it sounds like they're trying to get Mel Gibson. Okay, so before we get to the Mel of it all, yeah, uh, I find it interesting that they're not bringing David Ayer back. I know he's working on the... It's like, I know it was a critical disappointment, and the the whole movie is a mess, so you'd think that would be reason enough to sever ties with David Ayer, the director of the first one. But apparently he's doing the Harley Quinn movie. So if he's good enough for to bring him back yeah. for Harley Quinn, why not bring him back for Suicide Squad 2? And why not? Like, it sounds like a lot of what happened with that movie is they ignored what he wanted to do and did what the studio wanted to do, and that's what ended up with it being so cut up. So... If we saw that that didn't work, why not go back to what he wanted to do? I, I don't know. It's neither here nor there. But they, then but then they decide, okay, <laughs> let's do it again, and let's attach Mel Gibson to it. So, again, yeah, let's put off the Mel for a second. Do we need another Suicide Squad movie? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. I don't know that we needed the first one. Yeah. Uh, uh, the movie added nothing to, you know, like their attempts to build a cinematic universe, so it doesn't matter there. None of the characters are particularly memorable or interesting, with the possible exception of Harley Quinn. Again, I feel like that might have a lot more to do with like her outfit than the portrayal yeah. of the character. I'm I also... sorry, I don't want to trivialize the character, but there's not like we've seen Harley Quinn done really well. That wasn't a great Harley Quinn. It wasn't it was, awful. It, 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 it... 
it was the best part of the movie, but that's not saying much. Yeah, that's a low bar. I also, you know, I really liked Captain Boomerang in the movie, even though he was completely useless. And yeah, and if, like, if you removed him from the movie, the movie is exactly the same. Right. That's the easiest test. If you remove Harley Quinn from the movie, the movie changes a little. So, uh, yeah. she, so she was important. Yeah, you remove Captain Boomerang, who cares? You remove Fire Guy, who yeah. cares? <laughs> yeah. Wow, what a weak movie. Um, so I can, what I'm getting at, I can see the Harley Quinn spinoff. Sure. You know what? Like, let's, let's, like, whatever you were trying to do with Jared Leto's Joker, and it got all cut, let's try to bring some of that back. Maybe there's material there, but another movie with the whole crew? Really? Yeah. Maybe make some changes, drop some people, add some people. I mean, that's sort of the benefit of a movie like Suicide Squad, where there isn't a defined cast, necessarily. But the other thing that I found interesting is it was a, a short list of, of potential directors that got leaked or, or it's rumored anyway. True. And so, you know, Mel Gibson is the biggest name on that list. What I find interesting, though, is the, the other three names that are on there are people who have a much shorter track record than, than Mr. Gibson. They would seem to be a better fit if you're going in like a Marvel style of getting lesser known filmmakers that might be a bit more easy to control or a bit more pliable to whatever their demands mm-hmm. are. So the other directors are Ruben Fleischer, who did uh, Zombieland and Gangster Squad, both very yeah. solid movies. Jonathan Levine, who did Warm Bodies, which was good, and 50-50, which was fantastic. There's also Daniel Espinoza, who did Safe House and the soon-to-be-released Life, the I don't know if you've seen the trailers, but it's Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal in space fighting a super strong Martian invader. Okay, I mean, I'm interested. Sure. That's a fair pitch. Yeah. All those names are on the list. And we'll circle back to that, um, because we have to come back to that after. I mean, I'm not going to leave this unaddressed. Right. The other part of the story, of course, is Mel Gibson. And, I mean, listen, I edit this show. I understand it's going to give me a little more work to do with regards to one kilohertz tone. But I'll say it. Mel Gibson is an asshole. Major asshole. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, his his rap sheet, you know, for DUIs and spousal abuse and just the incredibly hateful things that he has yeah, said yeah. about Jews, about people of color, about women, about... Homophobia. The homophobia is a huge a one. It's yeah. like, this is a terrible human being. And when called on it, his excuse has been, well, I was drinking and I wasn't able to not say that. And it's like, well, no, most people wouldn't say that. Most people don't hate entire yeah. groups. Of, like, This is a bad guy. It's like, yeah, we, now, we don't need to go into it anymore. But yeah. yeah, he's... So the question is, can you separate the man's body of work from who he is as a person? Like, his body of work, you know, Hacksaw Ridge, is, that's just like his latest big one. Yeah. Like, people loved it. I guess. And then who he is, you know, Lethal Weapon, for God's sake, Braveheart. Braveheart. Yeah. Like, the the man like, is a talented performer and a, a talented filmmaker. It just seems, it's like it's very difficult to separate the two aspects of these things. Like, this is not a person I want good things to happen to. He's clearly also not, not someone who, I, I feel like he doesn't compromise. You know no, why I mean? should he? He's Mel no. Gibson. Yeah, and he's got a particular vision, and... It feels like when strong visions collide with studio blockbusters lately, doesn't end well, you know? Yeah. And again, and uh, just give me, I, I know, I gotta get off it, but, and if he was anyone besides a Hollywood celebrity, he would be in jail. That being said, when you look, when you go back and look at that list you were talking about, all of those directors seem like more appropriate choices for this film. 
What I'm wondering is, is this, are they just cashing in on the buzz? Because if all they said was we're announcing a Suicide Squad 2, we'd have all have rolled our eyes and said like, oh, okay, great. But by dropping Mel Gibson's name, they have people talking about it. Is it possible they really don't have any intention to hire him? They just figure, you know, no news is, is bad news? I mean, you, that could be. The, the rumor online, though, is that... And it's basically been confirmed that they have spoken with him. He he came out and said, yeah, we're talking about it. Yeah, apparently he's been brushing up on the material. Yeah. Again, because what does Mel Gibson know about Suicide Squad? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I'm at the point... I can't understand how Hacksaw Ridge got made. Why would a studio... But then again, Hollywood has a really short memory when it comes to things like that. Yeah, money uh, erases a lot of transgressions. Yeah. So I think I'm going to, in my head canon, I'm going to go with the narrative that that's just to generate buzz. And that they're going to hire one of these other directors, which sounds like it might be much better to fit for the movie. Yeah. Again, I'm biased, because I don't think terrible people should be rewarded with multi-million dollar movie deals. Um, everything about that rubs me the wrong way. I'm hoping it'll disappear, and we'll see one of these other guys. But we'll have to see what the studio decides on. Number three on the list. Ah, happier news. <laughs> Number three on the list is really interesting. Um, Microsoft has announced a service called Xbox Game Pass. And it's a long press briefing, but let me break it down for you. It's Netflix for Xbox games. It's a subscription service. You pay a monthly fee, and you download from a big list of available games and play them. What I found most interesting about this is that there's already a PlayStation thing that is basically the same thing as this, and nobody's talking about it. Well, it's not exactly <laughs> the same thing. Fair Th enough. That's the key. The PlayStation service that they're, like that, that's being referred to is for backwards compatibility. It's for older console games. Right. So you have your PlayStation 4, but you want to play a PlayStation 3 game. Instead of going out to buy a PlayStation 3, you can use this service. What Microsoft is doing, they're saying these are up-to-date, I mean, maybe not brand new releases, but like you know, one of the big names on there was Halo 5. And when did that come out? That was it's about a year old. Okay, and like that was their that was their reason to buy an Xbox One, right? Was to play Halo Five. And Mad Max was on there, and that's uh, I think a 2015 title. I think, but I mean, like here, NBA 2K16 is on there, right? So about a year old, it's looking like, which is a lot like Netflix. You don't get it right as it comes out, but it's on there, available for streaming soon. It or like Marvel Unlimited. Sure, that's a good example too. Yeah, what they're saying is like if you don't want to buy these games and you can wait a little while, you can just get them on the subscription service. Now, this is really interesting to me because it seems like this is the future of television. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember, like, you, know, you remember back in our day when Netflix was a DVD by mail service? Yeah. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> um, that was, like, in the late 90s. It wasn't until 2007 that Netflix started streaming media, where they said sign into Netflix and just watch stuff. The streaming thing, I was always like... Uh, I'm not interested. I'd rather have the physical copy to watch. I'd rather... I don't want to kill my internet thing. And now it's like, DVDs? What are DVDs? Yeah. And now nobody's buying discs, and cable providers are losing, losing subscribers all over the country. Yeah. And when people don't... It, it's coming into the parlance. So you're not going to go watch TV. You're going to watch Netflix. Right. You want to you know, come over and watch Netflix. Is it on Netflix? <laughs> that Yeah. Netflix. Netflix I know. Netflix, Netflix chill. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So, why haven't video games done the same thing? Like, especially when you think, like, the the deal for buying a video game is a little different. Like, you buy a movie, it's, what, 20, 30 bucks, yet you're two and a half hours of entertainment and a couple hours of special features. You buy a video game, it's 80, 90 bucks, you get maybe 40, 50 hours of entertainment out of it. It's a little up in the air, for, depending on a lot of features. 
But it's expensive. It's expensive. And if you see a game and you don't know if you're going to like it, so that's an investment. Mm-hmm. If you're already paying 10 bucks a month and you're like, oh, Halo 5 Guardians, I wonder how that is. Click, and you're good. That seems to me like, why haven't we... Ha- like, that sounds great. That, yeah. That's what I'm going for. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I'm all for that. Obviously, there is some concern with bandwidth, because yeah. it takes a lot to download 40 hours of gameplay compared to, you know, half an hour of a television program. But one of the areas where the uh, Xbox One is ahead of the PlayStation One is that you can download it. So it's, it's Oh, yeah, it's not streaming at all. Yeah. You will the, download it, the whole game to your drive and then just play it there. Whereas the PlayStation One is streaming. So you yeah. constantly have to be connected. You constantly have to have a transfer of information going on. If, for whatever reason, there's lag for a couple minutes, the game might stop. But if you can just sit there for like 10 minutes and get a good chunk of the game already downloaded and then just play that part of it, you're good to go. You're good to go. This is like Netflix just announced their offline availability thing. And it's pretty, it's not for all their content. It's pretty specific. Right. A few series, probably their Netflix originals. Like now you can download it and put it on your smartphone or whatever for you're in the subway because not everyone is connected all the time. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't make any sense for a video game service, especially for, you know, these big modern video games. These are like 50 gigabytes of games. I envision the end of the brick and mortar video game store as a result of this kind of thing. I mean, the, the article I was reading on, I I must've stumbled on a, a business site when I was reading about this, but they specifically said that, EB Games stock took a massive hit when this was announced. Which, good, because <laughs> EB Games, GameSpot, we've talked about them before. A lot of questionable business practices. Yes. Uh, but why would you ever need to go... Like, I, already, I'm doing digital download. You know, when yeah. a game comes out, I buy it and download it digitally. If I can wait a couple months and then just get it as part of that service, like that's it. Take my money. I'm ready. Now, the fun part about this, you know, from the, the insider's perspective is that a huge part of the video game industry revolves around pre-orders. Which kind of... It makes more sense if you think about it back in the days before you could download these games. It was make sure you get yours on day one. Yeah. Because Halo 3 is going to be so popular, you might not be able to find it in stores right away, and you want to be one of the first ones to play it. Right. So stores got into the process of incentivizing these, like, put down a deposit, or even the whole value of the thing, and we'll send it to you when it's ready. Then digital downloads came out, and it made less sense to pre-order, so they've been attaching little bonuses. Pre-order the game, and you know, give us all the money right away, and we'll get it to you on day one, and we'll throw in like extra stuff, different color helmets or cars you can drive, or whatever now, jazz. I don't know about you, I've been suckered in by stuff like that before, uh, especially if it's a game I know I'm going to get on day one anyway, I figure I might as well get this extra bonus content. I can't remember a time I saw that content and was like, well, that was worth... Yeah, it is almost <laughs> always a scam. Yeah. Especially when, now that we're past, like, the scarce availability stage of things. Right. I swear to God it went back in the day. And, yeah, I get very excited when new video games come out. I'm, I'm buying Mass Effect on day one. Right. But the pre-order industry has gotten so ridiculous. Like, they will sell you an Assassin's Creed game, and if you pre-order it in a brick-and-mortar store, they'll also sell you, like, the Assassin's costume. Right. And, like, the little wrist knife thing. Like, that's how desperate they are. Just because from the, like, the store's perspective, from the publisher's perspective, it gives them a really good idea of what their sales are going to be. Because video games are a very risky business. They invest a lot of money into making these things, and they want to make sure they're getting a lot of money back. With this subscription service, that goes out the window. Hmm. If I can, like, if I'm only moderately interested in the game, and I know I can get it for the ten bucks a month, I'm already paying. 
screw the day one yeah. launch. Yeah. I'm just saying there's an entire industry that is going to change. It's not just EB going out of business, which, you know, good riddance, toss my cigar over my shoulder and the house blows up. But that whole thing of pre-order culture is going to take such a gut punch. I just, I can't imagine the developers and the publishers being okay with it. I don't know how Xbox pulled this off. There is, uh, uh, there is something very appealing about that, the subscription service, in that sense. I don't think it's going to impact a lot of the, the big sales for, for blockbuster games, but uh, it, it'll impact used game sales for sure. For sure. There'll be no reason. Yeah. And again, there goes EB Games. There right. goes GameStop. Right. It's going to be a major change in how we play video games. I can't wait to see what happens. I think it's good for me and not for big, rich companies. And they, I'm <laughs> Other all... than Xbox and Microsoft. Well, I'm sure they'll all do it eventually, but, you know, as opposed to EA, put right. it that way. In any case, speaking of video games, <laughs> none of the people this is directed to are listening to the podcast right now <laughs> because the Nintendo Switch came out just this past Friday, March 3rd. Uh, and it doesn't, well, I guess it has a web browser, so it's possible they're listening to this podcast on it, but it seems unlikely. Um, so we've talked about the Switch. Uh, you know, it's a TV, it's a handheld, the little separated controls, and so there's nothing in, there's the, everything that came out is what's expected. We're not going to go over that again. What's, what we're looking at right now are the reactions, and so far, reactions are very favorable. It's interesting, the Switch is getting... Good to great reviews. People are generally happy with it. There are some problems, which we'll get into. The launch title, The Legend of Zelda game for it, is getting phenomenal, I can't believe these people weren't bribed reviews. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is apparently a transformative experience that is going to divide your life into what happened before <laughs> and what happened after. It's 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100, all over the place. This is apparently one of the best video games ever made. Okay, so I have a question for you. That game is the launch title. It's it's the thing that's going to be selling Nintendo Switches yeah. on day one, and probably for the next six, seven months, maybe even the next year. It's going to be this game that's selling people the console. They also released it on the previous console, the Wii U. They did. Now, what do you think of that? Like, couldn't they have sold more Switches if it was Switch exclusive? I expect, like, the way historically these console launches go is that console launches are slow. Because it's like, you know, it's like buying a new Blu-ray player. It's a five, $600 investment. So no matter what, like, you have to wait a while for that audience to build. But there's already an install base for the Wii U. So as much as they want to sell new Switches, they want to sell copies of the new Zelda game. If they only release it for the Switch, they only release it for the 100,000 people who are able to buy a Switch this wave. Right. If they release it for the Wii U, they have an install base of a few million people. Right. Who can buy the game and run it. Fair enough. So that that's, that's the plan. Now, as for the Switch, again, we've already talked about how great it is with the portable thing. Uh, the interesting things have been the things that have sort of gone wrong with it. Not even gone wrong, but just the little things that maybe you didn't expect and that say that maybe we need to wait a little while before we buy it. Maybe we could use a revision. A lot of these are small things. They're things like the um, like to charge it with a cable. The charge is on the bottom of the thing. So if you have it propped up on a kickstand, like on a table, you can't charge it at the same time while you're using it weird like design oversights yeah and like the the thing that the the joy con breaks apart and there's the, like you so you can have it one in one hand one like half of it in one hand half of it in the other but you can put it together and so there's, there's like a middle piece that holds it but the base version that comes with it doesn't charge those yeah. separate things so you have to go and buy a separate thing that'll charge them while they're connected to it 
Just things like that that oh, just yeah. seem like... Tons of accessories. cash grab. Absolutely. Like, they market this as $300, but it's going to cost you $500. Like, Onboard Memory is another one. It comes oh, with... man. It comes with 32 gigabytes, some of which is devoted to the operating system. The thing, there are already games bigger than 32 gigabytes available for download. It's that... That it's, is also, like, egregious, I think is the word you used. Yeah. That seems egregious to me. Like, it, how can you justify that in a world where where 500 gigabytes for a playstation 4 is considered the small version. yeah i had to, i went and upgraded it yeah. to one terabyte um yeah 32 gigs is ridiculous uh when they packed it in because it's cheap and so yeah it's more expensive than it looks um, another one that got me is that there's no bluetooth in it yeah which just seems weird like especially if you're going to be using it portably you're going to be using it with a head like headphones yeah Everything has Bluetooth these days. I think my microwave has a Bluetooth connection <laughs> these days. Why didn't you put Bluetooth? What else? There's um, Apparently there are connectivity issues with some of the Joy-Cons. Right. Which led to that weird press release from Nintendo where they're saying, like, you know, it might, like, the, the signal might get distorted around other wireless devices. Fair enough. So try not to use it around microwaves. Okay, fine. Around phones. Well, everyone has a phone, so that's not going to happen. Try not to use it around aquariums. What? <laughs> Yeah, that's a weird one. And there's no explanation. <laughs> I don't... I, 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 like, okay, I just, just stop using your switches around aquariums. I don't... Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the fish. The fish aren't going to get to enjoy the switch now. I guess I don't... Seriously, I put a lot of thought into this. I can't figure out what's the deal. I... What a... Uh, anyway. <laughs> that being said, like, these are all little things. Um, the one that bothered me the most is that you need to buy a screen protector for it. Yeah. Just like if it's bouncing around in your pocket, the screen is going to get scratched. And if you're constantly putting it in and out of the dock, the screen is going to get scratched. And I'm one, I'm that guy. I hate when there's scratches on the screen. I don't even like fingerprints on the screen. Right. So you got to buy a protector for it. So these are all little inconveniences. On the whole, though, it does everything it's supposed to do. It's a cool home gaming console. It immediately becomes portable, so there's no interruption. It adds a layer to mobile gaming. That, like, you know, when you think mobile gaming, you think small, cheap, crappy games. No, now you've got a triple A title right. in your bag with you. But here's the interesting thing about that. One of the things I found in the reviews I read was that it said that the frame rate will drop sometimes when it's plugged into the TV. Uh, yeah, I've heard that about this. That seemed it's weird be- to me. It's because it's a 720p screen. Which is weird, like on the Switch itself, on right. the unit. Which is weird, because everybody's phone is at least 1080p, but whatever. When you plug it into a television, though, it's supposed to upscale to a full 1080p. There's a little grumbling, like the Zelda game only goes up to 900, but if you can tell the difference between those 180 pixels, you're spending too much time like <laughs> you know, on tech blogs. Uh, but because it's trying, to display, it's trying to display half again as many pixels... And they can't quite get it to drive there. It's been a first-party Nintendo title, nonetheless. Like yeah. that, now, that's, this is not to say, like, that's not a, really a hardware issue. It could be programmed for, but if Nintendo themselves couldn't get it kind of up to performance, it seems to imply that the mechanics of the thing, like the components inside, just aren't quite up to par. Which seems like a weird choice. Like, it's been a few yeah. years. Like, I get it. Nintendo isn't about raw power, but you got to have some halfway. And it seems to me like if you're if they're trying to make it and and so far as far as we can tell they they have succeeded pretty well in making it so that it's it's good for the home and good for portable yeah it play. does what it needs to do but if the home one the home experience to my mind should be the one that really blows you away if that one is suffering from some dips in quality then 
to me, it just becomes a glorified portable device. Well, I wouldn't go that far. It is disappointing, but I don't mind so much if my frames aren't right up at 60 frames per second all the time. I, I, I can get around that. That's okay. If there's serious lag, that's a chick, but that isn't what people have been reporting. Okay. They're just saying that it isn't perfect in a world where Nintendo's competitors are releasing these incredibly beautiful, incredibly gorgeous, incredibly expensive 4K games. Right. Well, as we discussed in a previous episode, not quite 4K. Not quite 4K, <laughs> but they're trying. In any case, there's a lot more to talk about, and it seems like there's a lot of interesting places for this to go. The consensus, you know, we'd said way back when we talked about the preview of this, we're saying maybe it's best to wait and let them sort some stuff out. That seems to be what the reviews are saying, again, with the exception of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, neither of us have had a chance to really get into it, and honestly, it sounds like we wouldn't want to, because it's all about the experience, we don't want to spoil anything. But if you're looking for a good open-world adventure, this game is going to change your life, according to, like, there's, like just not, there's no dissent whatsoever. And Nintendo doesn't have the money to bribe everybody. <laughs> so if you're willing to cash in, you know, the $500 for the premium Zelda experience right now, then that, that's the way to do it. Number one. All right. Number let's, one. Let's, let's get into it. Snick. <laughs> Number one is the third Wolverine movie, Logan. It, so the people who didn't buy the Nintendo Switch yeah. went to go see Logan <laughs> this past weekend. Um, everybody loves it. Yeah, uh, I saw it on Friday. It was uh, phenomenal. I, I really enjoyed it. I'll try to keep it brief. I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it's got uh, almost a Mad Max vibe in the sort of... It, it, a lot of it takes place in the desert. There's a lot of these like weird guys that are half mechanical chasing Logan and uh, Professor Xavier around and uh, X-23. Uh, there's... It's, it's a great story. I don't know what yeah. else to say. It was a lot of fun. It's the swan song for Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, and apparently for Patrick Stewart's Charles Xavier. And yeah. apparently it just it could not be better. Yeah. Like it's the way to say goodbye to these characters. It's, it's a great... I would say it's a great standalone story. All you really need to know going in is that Wolverine and Professor Xavier know each other. <laughs> other than that, it's pretty much free from continuity. They even have a character uh, played by Stephen Merchant in this uh, named Caliban, who was actually, the, that character oh, yeah. was in X-Men Apocalypse, but there doesn't seem to be any connection or reference between the two versions of the characters. So, best to go in and forget all the continuity and just enjoy it as a standalone movie, is my advice. Mm -hmm. um, it's really cool. The other thing I wanted to talk about with it which actually I might want to talk about more. It was a little Deadpool 2 teaser at the beginning. Right. Of it. So very funny stuff and uh, lots of teases in there for, and, and I can't imagine it's not intentional. I feel like this, it's just like an inside joke at this point, but there's a, a, a where the, you know, the filmmakers are laughing at the buzz they're creating. Case in point. Deadpool goes into a phone booth to change. There's a, a graffiti on the outside that says Nathan Summers is coming. Nathan Summers is cable. And there's been tons of cable casting uh, rumors and guesses for months. Since, yeah. since the movie, the first movie came out. Apparently everyone is trying out to be cable. So after he leaves the phone booth that's on there, he passes a store window that's covered in posters for Firefly, the TV series. <laughs> okay. Doesn't seem to have any, there's no reason for it to be there other than just to stoke passions in people who say, who are sitting there saying, does that mean Nathan Fillion is going to be, is going to be cable? cable? Does that mean 
Adam Baldwin's going to be Cable? Does that mean Jewel State does is going to be Cable? Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean, Jess? So and just it, add Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin to the list of casting speculation that includes Russell Crowe, Pierce Brosnan, Stephen Lang, Kyle Chandler, David Harbour, Ron Perlman, John Hamm, and Keira Knightley. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Deadpool 2 teaser, it got leaked. Okay. Um, and Fox has been trying to take it down, but that does seem to be genera- generating a lot of buzz because everybody wants the new Deadpool movie. Yeah. But Logan in itself, yeah, it's I guess it's awkward for an audio format podcast because we can't show you any of it, right. and really we wouldn't want to. It's, it's it's the kind of thing that you to go in and see. But when you yeah. see it, let me know. I want to talk to everyone about it. I've got theories. I got questions. I got things I want to talk about, but I also really don't want to spoil it because it's opening weekend when we're releasing this podcast, and a lot of you probably haven't mm. seen it yet. So what we may do, we've been talking. Like, we might do a callback like in a few weeks. We might talk about Logan again, or maybe when it comes out on disc, yeah. we can give you our thoughts on the movie. But for now, in one of the rare Geek Top Five endorsements, like Logan, <sighs> especially in you know in the non Avengers superhero world, you don't always get good movies, right? I mean, Apocalypse wasn't great. No, um, this <laughs> I would say is the the best non official Marvel Cinematic Universe superhero movie since Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> and Deadpool was the best since, what, like X-Men 2? I, I, yeah, or... Arguably know, the first it, class movies. Uh, Dark Knight? Yeah. Dark yeah. Knight's in there. Dark Knight's sure. in there. There's That's maybe a discussion for another time. Yeah. But go see Logan. In any case, before you do that... Geek Top 5 will be right back with our next segment, so please stay tuned for just a moment. Welcome back to the second half of Geek Top 5, and this week we're doing another one of our uh, very exciting geek deep dives. Geek deep dive. I love that. (laughs) I'm super excited about this one because this is the this is the conversation that made me want to do these in the first place. Um, mostly because, like Graham, we're pretty interchangeable, you and I, right? We tend to agree in a lot of things. Not on this. Um, I, you know, I'm a hundred percent right, of course. <laughs> and Graham is is hundred percent wrong. Uh, yeah, is consumed by madness. <laughs> okay, so, so so we're talking about. Uh, I, I think if I understand the uh, gist here, the trying to boil it down why are we okay with video games changing after their release date and we're less okay or not okay with movies or books or uh comic books things like that changing after they've been released essentially yes this this conversation arose when we were talking about around when suicide squad originally came out um batman versus superman was being released for home release with like a, basically a new cut, a ton of missing footage, and Suicide Squad had just announced they were putting 11 minutes in. And, you know, the reaction was, oh, God, you're going to try again. But I was thinking, this happens in video games all the time. Right, which they, is an interesting perspective. They brush it up, and they, they fix things. So why is it not okay to do that for a movie, or like you said, for, for anything else? Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, I'll lay things out. Obviously, my position is, yeah. If you can improve it, if you can go back, take another pass, fix some things up, go for it. Now, here, my perspective on this is that 
I've read a lot about writers and writers processes and things like that. And one of the common threads you find is no book is ever finished. No piece of work is ever actually finished. Sure. There just is a release date and it's done. And once, once you are, have reached a point where it's like good enough to be released, you have to be able to put the brakes on and be like, all right, I'm finished with this. I have to move on to something else. This is done. That doesn't seem to be the case with, with video games though, right? Well, yes and no. Like, they aren't continually rewriting a whole thing. But we've seen a lot of... Ex- I mean, hey, let me skip ahead to my list of examples. There are... Like, we see things like this... Like, here, great example of the ending to Mass Effect 3. Third game of the Mass Effect trilogy was originally a very kind of 2001-y kind of ending. It left a lot unsaid. It left a lot sort of up to the viewer's interpretation. Right. And it got a lot of complaints. I thought it was great. I'm the only one. <laughs> It got a lot of complaints, so they said, okay, we're releasing a new ending. Okay, so here, just to, so, let's play on that. Uh, you said it was 2001-y, so I'm sh- there's a lot of people who have seen 2001 who are like, this is Stanley Kubrick's, uh, I believe it was 1969? I don't have the date in front of me. Uh, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. If you don't Stanley know what Kubrick. that is, why are you listening to this podcast? Arthur C. Clarke. I'm sure there's a great like sports football podcast you'd be into, or like... <laughs> Some kind of podcast about string cheese. So anyway, so if <laughs> if you're going to be that moved by public response that you're... I, I don't know. I feel like if 2001, if, if Stanley Kubrick had, had read bad reviews of the ending or whatever and felt, wow, I, I, I was happy with the ending, but now after seeing this, I need to go back and change it and make it more explicit. I feel like we wouldn't have the masterpiece of filmmaking that that is. You know, it, would, it wouldn't... To, to change it and make it more palatable after the fact is to is a disservice to that movie. But it's a masterpiece because people weren't upset at the ending. Like, people found it really compelling and really liked it because it was a masterpiece. There if are the ending... people who did, who, who found it compelling, but I'm sure there's, like, I've taken people to see that movie who have not been thrilled at the ending, who leave the theater being like, why did I waste my time with this? <laughs> so I, if... So that's my point. It's like... If you, you're worried about, like, a dumbing down? Yeah. See, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Like, I guess the difference is, what I'm saying is, it's not necessarily, like, giving up to a mob mentality. Oh, the mob didn't like this, so I need to change it. Like, it's still up to the artist to, to do what they want. Um, otherwise, you end up with Fahrenheit 451, right? And you have a bunch of similar same stuff that nobody cares about, and before long, nobody's reading any books anymore. Right. And then also, like, our robot hounds. It's really cool. It's a good book. But, like, we do see, like, you know, where the art, like, I see it more as giving the artist, maybe just, maybe that's it. It's just more time to find the best way to express the artist's vision. And even before, like, some of these, re- like, we see extended cuts of movies all the time. But see, extended cuts of movies, especially using that specific word, extended cuts tend to be how to put this, or, or like unrated cuts where there's stuff put in mm. to try and like juice it up a bit more. That I'd argue those are two different things, but we'll, we'll circle back for now. Okay. But they're, they're, they're done in, to my mind, that's a cash grab. That's something that's done without artistry. It's a way to just add some scenes that were deleted and probably deleted for a good reason. And I really like, like apocalypse. Now you'd call the apocalypse. Now redux a cash grab. No, because the redux is more of a director's cut. Which is a different thing, where the director went back in and tweaked it and, in his mind, fixed it. Now, personally, I think the Redux is uh, 
not as good a movie as the regular version. I would agree that the French scene doesn't need to be there, but right. a lot of it. There are a lot of additions throughout. I, that I, I also think. think well, I mean, that's it's not, yeah, that's yeah, another conversation. It's too too deep. Uh, but okay, but okay. So like Lord of the Rings, it's not even necessarily in like the extended edition is the movie we wanted to release, but there's no way we could get people to sit in a the movie theater for that long. Return right. of the King, especially. There are huge chunks of the story missing from the theatrical release of Return of the King. Okay, but what about the extended cuts of the Hobbit movies? I would argue that the Hobbit didn't need to be three movies to begin with, never mind three extended cut movies on on home release. So, doesn't that beg for, let's get at it again? I mean, in this case, maybe not extending, but if only, like, if someone was willing to pay Peter Jackson to say, okay, let's take all this stuff, let's cut out the, the junk... And cut it down. Maybe it isn't even three movies anymore. But let's re-edit that movie to get to the essential parts. And wouldn't you want to see that? Yes, I would want to see that. But I feel like that those sort of situations are few and far between. Where there are directors who are sort of auteurs, if you will. Who, mm-hmm. who are there, have a specific vision, and aren't just like hired guns who, who shepherd the movie from beginning to end. And, and they have a specific vision that they want to accomplish. In video games, it seems more and more, every single one of them have patches that come out after the release that somehow change the game. Even if it's just balancing the the, the stats, you know, to make a game sure, more Sure, there's always tweaking to make the game more interesting. This is a Blizzard hallmark. Right. Like, if you count each version of a patch as a separate game, there's probably like 170 different copies of the original StarCraft. Right. But when you're... Trying to change the experience from an artistic point of view. Another example is Portal. The game Portal, the hit puzzle game, but GLaDOS, etc. Great game. A year and a half after it came out, they added on to the ending, essentially. They changed the ending and extended it a little to help lay the groundwork for Portal 2. Right. So in that case, not even necessarily making it a better game, but in like the shared universe that the Portal Half-Life games sort of have... They went back to it after the fact and said, here's how we make this entire universe better, just with these little tweaks. And it wasn't just, I mean, the ending was the big part, but they also added some things like little nods throughout the game here or there that if you just played Portal when it came out and put it down, you would have completely missed. Now, if you're going like, hey, Portal 2 is coming out, let me play Portal 1 again. Now it's a more seamless experience. So, I mean, and so let's adapt this like, to the movie okay. thing and to what we were talking about. So Batman versus Superman, for instance, one of the things that came up was the whole thing, like, why is Superman being blamed for what happened in Africa? Mm-hmm. That is explained in the new cut, in the, the cut at home. Like, it's, it's still not a great movie. It's still not a great story. But that plot hole is filled. Now, whether it's just that they had to make cuts for the theater... And so they they had to lose something, or that they hadn't shot it properly, or even if just they didn't realize how much of a plot hole it was till a reviewer pointed it out to them. I think getting the opportunity to go back and fill that in, it does improve the quality of that movie. It does make me want to watch it more. And if I was the artist, I'd feel better about that. Now, to me, I, I saw... Uh, Batman vs. Superman in theaters and didn't have a, a great time. And I I have to admit, I'm sort of curious to see this extended edition on on home video. But the prospect of sitting through everything I already suffered through in theaters, sitting through that again and more, 
doesn't it doesn't fill me with with a, a huge desire to do it. True. I would argue, I guess, that in the ideal situation, it wouldn't just be a case of extended cut; it would be a recut. There's a lot from that movie that could be dropped. Yeah. Or even done differently if you could find the money to do it. If somebody could shoot some kind of alternative to the Martha scene. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, the other thing that is sets the movie and gaming situation apart is that if you want to go in and tweak stuff in a movie, you potentially have to reshoot huge chunks of it. You know, if you want to, if you wanted to, to have a, a different ending for that movie, you have to get... The writer back. You have to get the director back. You have the the uh, director of photography. You have to get the actors. Video games have writers, and they have actors, and they have directors. I know what you're saying. They tend to be, like, the characters tend to be computer-generated or drawn or what have you. Yeah. But you still need all that talent back. Voice work. You know, like, if you've cast Sean Bean as the voice of your character, it's just as hard to get him back to do that voice as it is to get him back to play Ned Stark. I don't have facts and figures to back this up, but I feel like it's cheaper to get Sean Bean into a voice studio to record. It probably is, than to put him in makeup. Yeah. And that's fair. So the amount of money involved is a concern. Again, maybe I'm dealing with it from an ideal point of view, or I'm saying if money isn't an issue. Right. Or if you can expect better returns. If we get Sean Bean back, or if we get Batfleck back, and redo this, are more people going to buy the movie because it's a better movie now? I mean, so so what happens in in video games? Like, ha- after these patches come out, how many people replay the game and, and enjoy the the additional material? I, I, again, that's it's impossible to track. Or, it's, it's very difficult to say who's playing what game right now. But essentially, you know, a, like a press release goes out, hey, the Final Fantasy's been updated to version 1.09, and here are the stuff that we fixed gameplay-wise, and here are the treats... And maybe there's a new scene. There hasn't been for 15 yet. We're waiting, but... Okay, so here, here's an example for um, that, that I can sort of comment on a bit more uh, explicitly. All right. No Man's Sky. Okay. So that came out and had, it had a lot of hype behind it. It's a video game where you go around a galaxy and name planets and everything's... Explory game. Yeah, but, and everything's sort of procedurally generated. So everything's new every time you see it. So... Uh, it, it's such a cool premise, and uh, but it came out and was disappointing to a lot of people. Now, uh, what was it, like a year later or six months later, they released a patch that changed a bunch of stuff, fixed a lot of problems, supposedly, made it uh, almost a different game. I have that game, and I, I played it when it first came out for, for a few weeks, and then sort of... You were disappointed. And disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I haven't put it back in since I've heard about these changes. I, I'm interested. It's neat. But at this point, I've kind of moved on to other things. And, and I don't know when I will go back to that game. M- am I in the minority there? Are there a lot of people who... I don't, th- I don't know that we even have numbers to check. But right. I think that's sort of the key. You know, especially, for in, in the, especially with regards to movies where you have two releases. You have the release in the theater and the release for home and time in between. If I saw a commercial that said Batman vs. Superman, now available for home, oh, and we fixed up a bunch of stuff. It's way better. You'll like it. I'd be interested. I would probably also see it on all these blogs, because everybody's got a blog nowadays. (laughs) Or a podcast. Or a podcast. (laughs) I mean, podcast, obviously, far superior superior. to a blog, (laughs) where where somebody I'm interested in would say, hey, so did you guys check out that new Batman vs. Superman? They dropped the Martha thing, and they recast Lex Luthor, and it was... (laughs) It was way better. It's a really great movie now. And I might go, oh. 
That's probably worth watching. Okay, but I think movies, this may be controversial for you, uh, but movies at the present are are considered more of an art, let's say, than video games. They are considered. I disagree with that fact, but yes, that is the common, that a movie is art and a video game is just a game. So let's... They're wrong, that's what people think. So, so a piece of art that is in a gallery, on a wall, once it's on that wall, generally, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who can oh, yeah. correct Man, me on this. There's living art these days. I know, but, but the Man. typical, our general description of it, it's like once it's done, once it's painted and it's on the wall and it's in a gallery, that's it, it's done. No do-overs, no take-backs, that is the final piece of art. I would say that that is a limitation of the medium, not an artistic choice. That, I mean, again, here's a controversial one for you. If the, you know, the Mona Lisa, people looked at it and said, well, her smile's kind of off, don't you think? If Leonardo could, like, just sign in to the Mona Lisa and go, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to tweak that. I'm thinking of, like, that, remember that thing a few years ago where it was the, the Jesus fresco painting? And the right, thing? the old lady <laughs> tried to fix it up and she ended up, yeah. Yeah, she fixed it. She made it better. <laughs> it's a better piece of art now. <laughs> Maybe, is that what you want to happen with these things? No, I don't want some random person <laughs> off the street to come and paint over the Mona Lisa or the Jesus or Mass Effect. But... I think it's interesting opportunity to say, okay, there's some stuff here that did not work. Let's remake it and try to make it work. Because I think it's a shame that Batman vs. Superman was such a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they've gone to some effort to trim it up. I think it's a shame that the Suicide Squad was such a disappointment. I don't know that that one can be saved. <laughs> well, I, mean, let's, I mean, we're dancing around it, but let's get right to it. What, okay. what we're talking about here... Both sides of the argument are summed up very well with Star Wars. Sure. With Star Wars Special Editions, where decades after their original release, Lucas is still monkeying around with them and adding things and cutting things and fixing things. I still think it's better to go back and improve. I understand he made some changes that I really don't like, that nobody (laughs) likes, but there are also some fantastic changes in the Special Edition that I really prefer. Like what? Over the original, like, what? What? What like, like Orange Bespin. In okay. The Empire Strikes Back, in the original release, they go to Cloud City, and they're, like, they're on the set of THX 1138 for an hour. Blank white rooms, blank white walls, nothing out the window. Like, it's like the set didn't get finished in time. In the special edition, everything is gorgeous. Like They mm-hmm. add that establishing shot. Yeah. Of the cloud car flying through orange Bespin. It's like and, it's like sunset. That's yeah, the yeah, it, yeah. the entire thing looks like sunset. And there's so many details added. It's gorgeous. They're, um, the Emperor Hollow in Empire. In the original right. release, they're like, Let's get, get somebody's wife to play the Emperor. Right. And they threw like a blanket over her. <laughs> Redid that. And they put Ian McDermott in it. I, isn't that something they did even earlier? Wasn't that like one of the first changes that happened? If I, I, my one, it's very early, but again, there've been a lot of changes. Yeah, that's the thing with with George Lucas. It's like it's it's never finished. Every time he put there was a, a new release of the movie on home video or DVD or Blu-ray, there was some other new tweak. Like you can find YouTube videos. Even oh, as yeah. simple as the, the noise that Obi-Wan makes when he's scaring the sand people away. The crate Dragon Call. The crate Dragon Call. Is Different in every edition. Every edition. Why? That boggles my mind. Who cares what noise he makes? Like, why would you need to change that? That, to me, seems like 
it's a, a perfect opportunity for someone to be like, George, it's done. The movies came out in 1977. They're done. Stop futzing with them. And even with the Bestman stuff, I think that looks neat, but I could have lived without it. Like, the, I don't think that impacts the quality of the movie. Oh, it's man. like if you go back and, and take Citizen Kane and you colorize it and, and take away some of Orson Welles' wrinkles or double chins or whatever, that doesn't make the movie better. That's completely just an aesthetic change for no good reason. Mm. Mm. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts me. Their aesthetics are very important. Yes, some of them, like the noise, is silly. Absolutely, it's silly. I would argue that having Cloud City be a blank, empty canvas takes away from the movie. Because it looks like these actors are walking around on a set. It makes you think, wow, what a lousy set. I disagree, though. Because all the other sets in Star Wars, in the original trilogy in particular, are are filled with, with junk and scratches and scuffs and they all look lived in. That was the only set... That really looked immaculate and clean and beautiful, and there was it looked there was, empty. There was nothing there in was, there. But that's a choice, you know. That is a filmmaking choice. And I know um, you say maybe it's not, maybe it's an unfinished set. Yeah, but that is still a choice. It's a choice to film on it if it's unfinished, and to go back and be like, you know what, that was the wrong choice. It just opens up too many doors, I think. And 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 Star Wars is the perfect example where. It was he was allowed to run amok. I mean, it was his choice. He was the only person his who was going to stop him was himself. Yeah. But you know, going back to the Mos Eisley spaceport and filling every frame with bumbling Jawas and lizard creatures walking around isn't making that scene better. In some ways, it's detracting from it. Detracting, maybe. I would, yeah, I would agree. Not all those choices were good, but the opportunity for the choice, I'm really interested in, and I do see that a lot of those choices, I feel. That they really help. Not having the frog lady emperor. Because like, in the original even. Like, I mean, you don't get a good look at the emperor. But the guy in Jedi is not the emperor from Empire Strikes Back. Right. And you're like, what is that? I mean, it's not even a case if it was a different actor. It was that originally you thought the emperor was a weird frog person. <laughs> but But arguably, you know, when those movies first came out, there was no, there was no home video. So the only times you would see it are when it was first in theaters and maybe if they were re-released it before the next one. So there's huge windows of time where you're like that that's a long time for your memory to dim on Frog Lady Emperor versus Ian McDermott. Okay, but that's I would say that's not a like that's not a pro. It's not like, okay, it's alright, they're not gonna be able to see it very often, so don't worry. That's the opposite. That's I want them to go see it as often as possible. Right. I want it to be amazing. I just I, I think subtlety, with especially when it comes to things like that, subtlety is the key. And, and yes. I, something that did it well was the Star Trek uh, TV series when they, they did oh, these. Oh, good example. Yeah, these HD upgrades to them and, and just tweaked some of the graphics just to just subtly to make them a bit more modern, a bit more, a bit less cardboardy, if you will. Like, yeah, because some of the effects with the ships in that show were essentially lights. I just, yeah. They would look at the view screen and you would see a white light and someone would go, oh, a Tholian cruiser. And you'd You're go, like, what? Oh, that's a white light. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah, no, the HDs are perfect, but they didn't add any scenes. Well, that's not true. Like, there is like a muck time, they add that establishing shot of Vulcan. Right. Very but cool. again, subtle. Subtle, yeah. No, or, you know. This is a separate argument. This is, the, is George Lucas a nutbag? <laughs> like, are, yes. He, yeah, he yeah. went way too overboard. But, but being able is, to go back and just improve and tweak I, I think it's it's nice and if if you if 
the company can afford to do it, that's fine. But I also think there's something to be said for leaving it be, letting it be a time capsule, letting it be what it was when it was first released, because it's it's it, there's an integrity to that, you know? This is what it was, this is the best I could do at the time, and this is the final version, you but, know? But who cares? Like, if it's a bad time capsule... Like if, it's like, still a time if it's capsule. if your time capsule's the theatrical release of Sucker Punch, like who cares? Who wants to go back and be like, oh, yes, I remember when this movie, this terrible movie that didn't make any sense was made." Okay, but and, if... and by the way, I haven't seen it, but I am under the impression there is a revised edition of Sucker Punch that's supposed to be better. But I don't know. It's like I don't know. Like like if you're. Taking it from being, you know, 4 out of 10 to 5 out of 10, that's like, that's nice, but why that do doesn't you, change it. Why do you assume me. it's only 1 whatever because, out of 10? Because I don't, like, in order to fix that movie, you basically need to reshoot it. <laughs> so maybe Sucker Punch isn't the best example, because there wasn't a movie in there. Right. There was just a bunch of barely intertwined action scenes. But, but a movie like Batman vs. Superman, there is a movie in there. We can all see the movie in there. It's there. It's just obscured it's like a marble carving that was never finished okay so let's let's go back to not necessarily george lucas here but let's go with the another uh great bird of the galaxy if you will gene roddenberry okay <laughs> after star trek one of the things that he did was a teen sex comedy i can't remember what it was called i think it was like all the pretty maids or something mm. and it's Nobody knows about it. It's completely forgotten, and it's movie about uh, like a high school gym teacher who's fooling around with his students. It's like not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. Should that should should Gene Roddenberry be allowed to go back and tweak and fix that? Why not? Honestly, that sounds exactly to me like one of the series that would get picked up and rebooted these days. Oh, this, what the, Gene Roddenberry's sex? No, comedy? I know Gene Rod, not by Gene Roddenberry. What I'm saying is that like the way we deal with that is somebody finds an old television show like oh the A Team, let's make it a movie. Right. Why? Right. <laughs> like, but yeah. but would you have preferred if they had just gone back and and uh, no, well, you listen, know... the A Team is perfect the way it is. <laughs> so but my point is <laughs> My point is you should treat everything like that, you know? It's like, it is what it is. Like, I know you say the A-Team is perfect the way it is, but it's perfect because it's a time capsule of that era of cheesy 80s action But it's one that we like. So if it's it's something that's universally panned, Mm -hmm. but, like, and that's the key, right? It's universally panned, but. Like, this could have been a great movie, but. Why not go in and address the but? So here's, here's where... The the butt is for me. Okay. The butt of the matter. <laughs> for a, a perfect example of where this can be done and done well is Kingdom of Heaven. Ridley Scott movie that he had to cut down from like a, a, a three and a half hour version to a, I think, two and a half hour version basically. To Loses get it, a lot in the theater. Yeah, to get it into theaters. It was a choice by the studio. They said, no, we cannot release it at this length. It has to be shorter. So he, the auteur director, was forced to to cut the movie to a length that that was suitable for the corporate overlords on DVD there was i guess enough of a a, a wellspring of desire that the company decided that I mean would, it was Ridley Scott it was Ridley Scott it, it, you're fooling yourself if you think there's anything behind that besides the name Ridley Scott <laughs> well anyway so he has enough clout and enough power that he and there's enough interest that he gets a chance to to take a second stab at it and release the movie on DVD in the format and the version that he wanted, the director's cut, which is what, where I think the term is important. If it's literally a director's cut where the version that was released was not the director's 
preferred version where it was released in a, a an incomplete state against his will or her will, then I think a director's cut do-over on DVD is warranted. Okay. Star Wars is not that situation. Star Wars, he released the cut that he wanted to release at that time. It was complete. It was done. Like he, Maybe he couldn't do everything he had envisioned in his head, but w- that the movies, as they were originally released, were as good as they possibly could be at the time they were yeah, released. But see, that's an implied distinction. The movie was as good as it could be with the resources he had to release it at the time. That statement applies to both Kingdom of Heaven and Star Wars. The difference just being the reason that it was only as good as... In Star Wars' case, it's because the technology wasn't there. In Kingdom of Heaven, it was because of corporate studio meddling. Either way, it wasn't the vision that the director wanted. And now he's got a chance to do it again. And for the record, Kingdom of Heaven on the home release is phenomenal. I agree. I love that movie, especially yeah. the director's cut. It's it's a, incredibly well done. But I think it's important that it was taken out of the director's hands and and it wasn't his vision when it was released. Whereas with Star Wars, I think again important distinction in that it should be it should have been left alone as the cut that he was happy with at the time. Like he, there was no way he released Star Wars in 1977. All right, I said there's no way. I'm sure you we can get a time machine and find out what he originally thought. Maybe he was he's full still, of regret. He's still alive. We could ask him. Yeah, but he's uh, questionable about right. these sorts of things. But if you go back to him in 1977 and ask him at the premiere or ask him after all the good reviews come out and say, is this the version that you wanted to release, what else is he going to say? He's going to say, of course, this is my vision. This is the movie as I wanted it to be. He wouldn't be like, oh, no, we needed more Jawas falling off of giraffe dinosaurs in the Moss Eisley spaceport. Well, I'm sure he wouldn't name the specific <laughs> stuff with the Rondos, by right, the way. Excuse me. Ram. <laughs> oh, giraffe dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure he, but I'm sure he would say, well, I wish we could have done X, and I wish we could have done Y. And I think if you talk to any director, anyone who's ever finished a creative project like that, you would say, it's, like, it's out, and there it is, but I wish we could have done this. And I'm saying, why not give them the opportunity to do this? Even if you have to, like, if you're just calling it a director's cut is the key, sure. Let's give David Ayer a, a chance to do a real director's cut of Suicide Squad. I would but, genuinely be interested in seeing that. Absolutely. If you saw an ad on television tomorrow, you know, David Ayer, or even just, you know, it would be in like, The Hollywood Reporter or something. Right. Or you could listen to it on Geek Top 5, because hey. I'm sure we'd cover it, where he came out and said, okay, so we're talking about making new movies. They gave me another chance at Suicide Squad. I've edited some stuff. I've filmed some new stuff. I think we filled in a lot of the holes in the movie. There's a lot less Enchantress and a lot more Joker. I really think you're going to like it. I'd go see it in theaters. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Probably, but I just think there are so many problems with that movie that you would have to, you'd basically have to refilm it. Now, I want to bring up another example here, uh, just to, I I don't know, maybe this will help bolster your side, but... (laughs) It sounds good to me. (laughs) There's an interesting thing, like, uh, The Godfather is universally praised as one of the best Mm -hmm. movies ever made. What I think, unless you're like a big film aficionado... Uh, there's there's a version of The Godfather that was released on TV that was called The Godfather's Saga, where they took Godfather Part 1 and Godfather Part 2 and put them in chronological order. Uh. So there's parts in Godfather Part 2 where it goes back and forth right. between uh, like a prequel story and a sequel story. So they take all the prequel stuff out and put it before Godfather 1 and all the sequel stuff and put it 
at the end of Godfather, uh, of the first Godfather, and then they intersperse a lot of deleted scenes. There's like, I think I read there was, there's a version where there's something like 45 minutes of deleted footage that was That's put That's a lot of extra in. footage. Yeah. So it's not even like a director's cut at that point. It's like a whole different experience. It's a whole different project. And, you know, that was allowed. There are people who love that version of it. But here, here's, I think, where the distinction is with something like that. That version is available you can find it, you can watch it. It's sort of hard to get your hands on, but it does exist. There's also still the individual versions, like Godfather oh, Part 1 So what Godfather you're getting Part at two. is essentially you'd be totally fine with Star Wars Special Edition if you could also get the despecialized Star Wars? I guess so. What I mean is, like, with video games in particular, that doesn't exist, right? Like, once, once really. the patches happen... That is the official version. You're right. I, generally, at this point, I could not watch the original ending of Mass Effect 3 anymore. Right. Because they've, de- they've decided that isn't what they wanted for it. So, in that sense, it's it's not. it doesn't become versions of the same piece of art. It becomes, it's just like copying, pasting over top of the art. It's like a constantly changing piece of art, which is still a thing that's allowed to happen but there is something to be said for having a final version you know it's like i don't you know i don't see why it needs to be iterative it's that this is the way it is right now and i mean really if you want to talk to it from a very artistic perspective it's all of these things right bespin is both like it's schrodinger's bespin it is both (laughs) empty and glorious at the same time as i've seen both i don't think look i think you're (laughs) you're you're Making calling it empty and glorious is is uh, very leading. one-sided. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you have white bet. That doesn't sound good either. <laughs> uh, you have plain, unadorned bespin and fancy, lots of effects bespin. Both of those are bespin. Both of those, in a way, both of those are part of the work. But part of the art was the building to where it is now. But that, to my mind, the building should have been done once it was shot and put on film and released in theaters. Like, that should have been it. I don't know. I think at this point we're starting to go around in circles. But it doesn't sound like we're going to come to a consensus on this, which is a shame. But, <laughs> no, I, I guess what we're looking at is that I'm very comfortable looking at these mediums as constantly evolving and changing um, as living art. Whereas you seem to be, and again, it's obviously going to sound a little biased because I disagree with you, but you seem to be saying that at some point you think they have to be static. They have to be complete and present only what they present and then they're over. Okay, let me just say one more thing on it. Mass Effect 3 in particular is an interesting experience in that... uh, you and I have had very different experiences playing it, you know, and that's yeah, you, not just... You, you never even did Citadel. It's, I mean... <laughs> that is part of the I would argue that you ending. haven't played it, per se. <laughs> anyway, the main thrust of the storyline, <laughs> we have both played it and had different experiences because of choices that were made in previous games and things like that. And I think that is part of the art, having the choice be a part of it. But if, let's say, let's say with No Man's Sky... Mm. I played it when it was first released. If I give it to you and play it now, we can't have an equal conversation about it because at this point, it feels it seems like it's two different games. Yeah, but I'm not rating the conversation. No, but like I'm I... saying it's like it's 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 the same. It's supposed to be one thing. It's supposed to be a one finished piece of art, and yet we're having a conversation with completely different reference See, points. And that's where I feel like your blind spot is. It's supposed to be one thing. Why? Why does it have to be one thing? And that might be where we have to agree to disagree. 
Now, you know who could help settle this for us? Our listeners. <laughs> the Indeed. Fa- the fact of the matter is, we're coming up on time. And yeah, we're, it sounds like this is going to be something we're going to be arguing about offline for a <laughs> long time, possibly over the periods of decades. So, what do you think? We would love to hear from you your opinions on this, because apparently it's a much more complicated argument you know, I init- than I initially thought when I decided I was right. <laughs> So if you want to support me, that'd make me feel great. But you want to support Graham, maybe there's more to be said for that side as well. You can get, we want to hear from you. You can get to us at all kinds of places. You can leave us a message on geektop5.com. We're on Facebook on facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And we're also available on email at uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to discuss. We hear back from enough of you guys what you think. We can come back to this and see if we can help nail it down. In the meantime, this has been Geek Top 5. Special thanks to our special guests, Graham and Jesse. Yay! Special thanks also seriously to our crew, to Stella Simeonova and to Ben Sound, bensound.com. Couldn't get this out with either of them. And again, special thanks to you, our listeners, because you guys give us the opportunity to do this, and it's been a blast. Geek Top 5, we'll be back to talk to you again in just a couple of weeks. Till then, thanks very much.